Well, we've been working through this series. We've, got, we've actually got one more, and we're going to do one next week, which is a bit of a transition. We're moving from, um, well, we're heading into the Christmas season next week, really. So next week, the final, uh, the final talk in the God Rock series will be a Christmas shift. What happens when God rocks the whole of this world? But for today, I want to conclude, really, that this, this personal perspective by asking what happens when, when God rocks my world. We've been looking at different perspectives, different ways in which a true encounter with the living God of the Bible does not allow us, does not allow us to just simply observe, to just, if you like, stand back and take a view. When we are truly confronted with the God of the Bible, we are shaken up. And might I suggest to you that if you are still at that point where you are literally simply observing the Bible, observing the message of the Bible, if you are viewing it purely from that perspective, then uh, we, you have not yet come to terms with the power of the living God. One of the things that the Bible makes clear is that God in his being is three people or three persons rather, right? three persons and yet one God. Three persons yet one God. That mystery of the Trinity. A God in heaven, the Father who is not seen, Jesus who is present in this world, and the Holy Spirit who dwells amongst us and within us. That means, the presence of the Holy Spirit means that that God is still vitally and, and in a real sense dealing with us and confronting us with the same power, with the same uh, effect as as if Jesus was stood right next to us. Now, you might not have encountered that. In fact, in human terms, you can't encounter it. You actually need for God to encounter you. Does it sound as though it's something that you might want? Then I would say, then ask God for it. Because he will never withhold any good thing. And it is a good thing to be encountered by God in that kind of powerful way. As if the living presence of God is communicating and directly dealing with you right now. That can be, that can be a mild thing. That can be a kind of an ongoing thing. For some, it's, for some it's pretty dramatic. For most it's just that ongoing growing conviction that God is real, God is living, and God is dealing with me. We pray that that might be your experience, and I want to encourage you to ask for that. We've seen that uh, whenever God is dealing with us, we find that he shakes us up, he rocks our world in many different ways. We end up with shifted perspectives to our view of life. Uh, in every way, we, ha- we have certain views of the way we do things, haven't we? we have, we've seen that we have certain views on relationships. We have certain views on our use of time. We have certain views on our, on our use of money. Now, when God comes and deals with us, those perspectives are shaken up and are, are, are shifted. They are changed. They are readdressed in one way or another. 
we saw last week how, from a, from a money point of view, Zacchaeus was transformed dramatically and quickly. He realized that he could not hold on to the things that he was holding on to because he was now holding on to something completely different, relationship with Jesus. And when that happened, his life was changed and his fingers were just released on the things that previously had been his security, his wealth. Now I want to ask the question this afternoon, what happens when God rocks the whole of my world in such a way that everything about this world no longer is my security? When, when the world and my existence is rocked to that level, when I am emotionally shaken up, when I am literally life and death, shaken up when the world no longer is providing me with any security. We've seen this story of this man this afternoon, which we can get up on the screen. It's the story of a man called Stephen. Stephen has reached that point where he is realizing that uh, life in this world is coming to an end. What happens when we get to that point? What happens when well, I guess that you would say, wouldn't you, that, that when God shakes us up, when God rocks our world, when we are changed in all of those sorts of ways that we've talked about, we are realizing that God is impacting on our life in such a way, and get this, that he is changing us. We begin to realize that. It's not us changing on behalf of him, it is him changing us. We are on the receiving end of the changing power of God. That, that's emotionally quite concerning, isn't it? Does that feel like you're losing control of life? After all, don't we feel more confident when we've got control of life? When, when, when we're in control? If I open myself up, to the idea that, that God is in control, to the idea that he is changing me and reshaping me, that the things that are happening to me are because he is dealing with me, that leaves us on the face of it in an emotionally concerning place. It seems much safer to feel as, I've, as though I've got control. I want to suggest to you it might feel safer but it is ultimately hopeless. That's what we're going to see this afternoon. And actually, the place that feels the most unsafe is actually the place that is filled with ultimate hope. When we know that God is in control, it is ultimate hope. Let's have a look at this man. Well, we're breaking into... A really long speech, we didn't have time to read it, but can I encourage you, if you haven't got a Bible, get hold of a Bible. If you haven't got a Bible, ask me, I can give you a Bible uh, at the end of the service. Uh, if you haven't got a Bible and you don't feel like you want to ask me, just get onto the internet, go onto Bible Gateway, Google Bible Gateway, put in the reference, Acts chapter 7, read what uh, Stephen says. I want to give you a bit of background because here's a man whose life has been rocked. He has been, if you like, just, just like you and me. He might, he probably, probably was um, a, a 
somebody who was a God follower in some way or another. But we read earlier on in chapter 6 that his life has been changed quite dramatically. He's come to faith. He has come to faith in the God uh, of the Bible, in Jesus. Now, his his name is Stephen. It's probably uh, a Greek name. Many people have said that, therefore, he is probably a Greek. I'm not so convinced of that, actually. What we find in history is that around the time uh, of Jesus and just after the time of Jesus, there are, there, there are Jews have been spread out throughout, throughout the net. They've been scattered throughout the Roman Empire, the diaspora, the, the, the scattered. Uh, and what we find is that we see that many of those are becoming, who have been scattered have become increasingly uh, like those around them. So they've started to take Gentile names. They've started to take Greek names. They're living in a way which is not distinctly Jewish, and Stephen uh, was in that situation, possibly. What we find in chapter 6 is that something has gone on where his life has changed. There's a problem in the church. This is the early church, and there's a problem with uh, the distribution of uh, food amongst the the widows. And there's, there's tension. You know, even in the church, let me just say, there's tension in the church from day one. From day one, there's tension in the church. So if you think that you can come into a church and find a place of absolute beautiful sanctuary where there is no problem and no hassle and no emotion and no personality clashes, uh, you are living uh, in cloud cuckoo land. We are still dealing with our problems. However, there is going to be a church where there isn't those problems. It's a preparation for where, that, where we will get to. We're on a journey to being reconciled. Stephen is in, uh, in that church and there's a problem, you know, they're distributing the food and, and it seems as though one group of people seem to be getting more and another group are being forgotten and there's tension. So the apostles turn around and they say, right, appoint some men. Let's identify some men uh, who are godly, who are wise, who are spiritually minded, who have already been changed in some way. It's like this. It's like this. Look around. Who is there who you look on and you can see God has rocked them? God has changed them. They have become different They've become spiritually minded. God has got a grip of them and they are living in a way where they would be helpful. And Stephen finds himself, all of a sudden, (laughs) he finds the whole church in a good way pointing the finger at him and saying, you're one of those guys. You're one of those guys who is going to be helpful for us. And his, his world gets reshaped just a little bit more. Because he finds now that he's called to serve in the church. So they appoint Stephen. Why do they uh, choose Stephen? Well, we read in uh, Acts chapter 6 and verse 5, they choose Stephen because he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So he's a man who has come to faith and the Holy Spirit, as I said earlier, God is Dealing with him, God is grappling with him in his person and reshaping him. The Holy Spirit has got a grip of him and he is being changed. And people can see it. 
Have you experienced that? I've spoken to many people who've, uh, who've come to faith. Uh, and there is this particularly interesting dynamic. The closer, it's a bit like coming into, well, actually the Bible says it's coming into the light. <laughs> we find that as we come into the light, we begin to realize what we are more like. We begin to realize our sinfulness. We begin to realize the state of our hearts before God. We feel worse. But paradoxically, at the same time, God changes us. And we become different people. And the number of times I've had conversations with people where they've been saying, I, 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 don't, feel as, I don't feel worthy, I don't feel... I don't feel as if I'm making any progress. I feel, I feel worse now than even before I came to faith. And, and that sense of, of unworthiness. And there's other people saying, I can't believe they're changing. I can't, I can't believe they're the same person. I want to encourage you, if you are feeling like that, there will probably be people who are looking on and saying, but I can't believe they're changing. Them. Because that's what happens when we come into the light. We feel worse, but God changes us. That's what the Holy Spirit does as he impacts our lives. Stephen was one of those people. People are looking on and saying, you're the guy. Get stuck in. He finds that uh, he gets involved in that. He obviously is serving. But God hasn't let go of him at that point. He carries on working through Stephen and we find towards a bit a few verses on in chapter 6 it says this Stephen a man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people there he is God is getting a hold of him here's a life in transition a life that we don't know anything about him we don't know what his occupation was we don't know what he was involved in beforehand, but we know now that his life is on a different pathway because God is dealing with him. And as he's dealing with him, he's finding that he is now, he's now doing things that he wasn't planning on doing in his life. He's now involved in things that he was never planning on being involved in. He's now saying things. He's now ministering in a way He's now performing acts which are wondrous, which he's thinking, how is this happening? Who am I to be doing this? Why? <laughs> because God has got a grip on him. God's got a grip on him, hasn't he? Well, that's what we read. We don't read that Stephen, in coming to terms with the message of the Bible, becomes absolutely determined that he is going to change his life uh, and head off in a different direction. That is not what we read. We never read that in the Bible. What we read continually is this, that Stephen has come to faith and the power of, by the power of the Holy Spirit working in him, he is now doing different things. He is speaking in a different way. He is living differently. He is ministering in a way that he was not prepared for. His life has been radically shifted. <coughs> Who is doing that? That's the point behind that verse really, isn't it? 
Stephen was heading off in one direction in life, but God's got a grip on him. And he's taking him in a different direction. He's taking him in a a different direction, which takes him to this next verse where it says, opposition arose. God has got a grip on him. He is taking him in a different direction, and he is taking him in a direction in which opposition is the result. (laughs) How do we cope with that? How do we cope when God is taking us in a direction which is resulting in opposition? How do we cope when the journey that we are taking on, when we find that we are saying things, when we find that we are involved in ministries, that I never planned to be involved in this. I never planned. This was not what what life was about. I I wasn't planning to do this, but now I find that I'm doing this. And now I find I'm getting stick for it. Now I find that I'm being challenged about it. Now I find that people are not comfortable with me because I'm involved in this. There's a dilemma, isn't it? What is the dilemma? I, I, I can relate to this, and I'm sure many of you can relate to this. It's the dilemma that you know that it is actually not even your decision that you're now doing these things. From a personal testimony point of view, I can tell you that when Rachel and I got married, I was never going to go into ministry. My father was in ministry. My father-in-law was in ministry. I was absolutely determined that I was not going to go into ministry. We'd seen it way too much. It was not what we were going to do. And yet I find myself against, in a great way, against my decisions, against my objectives in life, finding myself speaking the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by the power of Paul Howell. You find that you are in that situation. You find that relationships that you were in, that you are in, are tense. That there is opposition rising. That there are difficulties. Why? Because your life has been changed. You were there and now you're here. That's what's going on. There is opposition rising against. And you know, this is not because I am doing it. That is the power of the Holy Spirit working within you. And again, from a personal testimony point of view, you can fight it as long as you like, but you will not win. The power of the Holy Spirit will deal with you. It will challenge you. It will move you. And so we find now that this opposition rises. And it rises from quite a significant group of people. It rises from members of the synagogue of the freed men, we read in verse 4. Men of influence, men of power. Stephen is now finding himself in confrontation with men of power. What is the outcome of that? 
but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. I, think, I find that verse amazing. It's just like, it's like the, uh, by the authority of God as the author of the Bible, it's as though he's right drawing lines under this. I just want to underline that this is not the work of Stephen. The wisdom that comes as he stands is not the wisdom of Stephen. It's the wisdom of the Spirit of God. This is God working. It's as though God is working and Stephen is in that place where the confrontation is rising and rising and rising. How far does it get? Well, if you go back and you read chapter 7, you will, ra- you will read that finally it comes of, there is a point of crisis where Stephen is dragged be- before the religious court of law, the Sanhedrin. Before the Sanhedrin, he is charged by false accusation. People basically lie about him. Does that sound familiar? Do we read that in the life of Jesus? People take him and they lie about him uh, against the, the court of the religious elite. Exactly the same thing happens now for Stephen. He finds himself lied against. What does he do? He responds by taking them right the way through the Old Testament, really. He describes the nation of Israel. He puts them as the religious rulers in the historical context of the whole of the Old Testament. And he says this, do you realize that you are carrying on the way the religious leaders have always done? In the people of Israel. They have denied the word of God. They have denied the prophets of God. They have stood against God. God is faithful. And yet continually you have stood against him. And he places that particular counsel. At that moment in time. And he says. And you have done the same. (laughs) That's, That's a great speech to avoid confrontation. Isn't it not? I mean, that is just right in your face. He's saying, do you realize that you are consistent with all of those who have gone before, who have done what? Who have killed the prophets. What does it mean to kill a prophet? What's the subtext of killing a prophet? What is a prophet first? Because if we realize what a prophet is, we know what it is to kill a prophet. A prophet is somebody, in Old Testament terms, who comes with the absolute word of God for today, for you. So he is a spokesperson directly for God. What does it therefore mean to kill a prophet? To kill the word of God. To say, I am not going to listen to you, God. They've killed the prophets, and now he says... And you've carried on and you've killed Jesus. The ultimate prophet, the son of God, the promised one, the Messiah. Where does that take him? Well, it takes him to ultimate cost. Verse 57 says this. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man 
named Saul. Let's just keep the dots joined at this point, shall we? What we've said is that when God gets a grip on us, we find that our lives are reshaped. What we find is that we end up involved in things, committed to things, saying things, that against all of our human convictions, we are changed. And then we find, according to this, that God is then taking Stephen into a place where he is in conflict. If we join all of those dots together, who's placed him in a position where he is about to lose his life? Who's placed him in that position? Has God lost control at this point? That's the fundamental question, isn't it? That's the absolute question. When suddenly those members of the Sanhedrin get a hold of Stephen and drag him out of the city, has God lost control? Has it, has it blown? Because I need to know the answer to that. And you need to know the answer to that. Because there might come a day, it might not be as dramatic as this, but it might be that you are in a situation where it is going to cost you in some real way. And you need to know, has God lost control of my life when it's about to really cost me? When it's about to really hit me? It, it, has God let go of me? I want to ask the question. I want to stand alongside Stephen at this point, at this moment in time, and ask, how do you feel? Do you feel as if God has let go of you? There are two reasons why we can be absolutely confident that God has not let go. Absolutely confident that God has not let go. The first is this, and it's a, this is the minor reason. We'll go for the minor first and then we'll go for the major. You see the kind of, we're going to introduce here the interweaving golden thread of God's purpose with a few little words. They drag him out in, outside of the city to stone him and lay their coats at the feet of a young man called Saul. And in the purpose of God, that young man, Saul, who becomes Paul becomes the greatest missionary to the Gentiles because God has decided it. Do you think it was an accident that they laid their coats at the feet of Saul? Do you think it was an accident that he was there? Of course not. But rather it is God saying now at this point of seeming crisis... Let me introduce the next scene. Let me introduce Act 2, if you like. Let me introduce the characters who are about to play out the rest of my mission in the early days of the church. Let me introduce you to Saul. What does that say? If we could sit alongside Stephen at that moment in time and we were able to say, I know you feel the way you do, but do you know what? There's somebody here who is going to be transformed by this moment. 
or at least this is going to play a part in his life with such significance where he is able to say, I am the chief of sinners. I think Paul said that because he knew what his heart was like. He knew that he could be truly, really, uh, somebody who would slay Christians. He knew that he could be a torturer and murderer of Christians, not in a theoretical sense, but in a real sense, because God was placing him there. Stephen never saw that. He never saw that. You might never see the impact of the things that go on in your life that seem so tragic at a particular moment in time, seem so difficult, but, but, in God's plan there was another thread going on that was going to weave itself into a beautiful tapestry. You might not see the impact, but God knows. And that's what Stephen wasn't able to see at that point, but we can see it. We can see that God is faithful. So that's the minor point. I think that's a major point, actually. But that's the minor minor one. How else do we know that God hasn't let go of Stephen? Well, we can see by what we read just a couple of lines earlier. We see that they've dragged him out. They're about to stone him. But we see actually that Stephen is filled with a hope. He's filled with a hope. Verse 55, it says this. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He's one of those few who has given literally a window into the reality of heaven. The one who he has just accused them of killing, he's seeing alive. He's seeing Jesus alive there. Why did he have that window? Because it was preparation for him going just there. It was a window that was opening up because that's where he's headed. To be with Jesus. Now let's get this really clear in our minds because this is remarkable. He says that. The window opens up. He sees Jesus. He's prepared to go to be with Jesus. And after that event, they drag him out and they get angry. It wasn't that he saw Jesus as they were stoning him. Do you get that? God knew beforehand. Jesus knew what was about to come. He was preparing him. He was saying, Stephen, the time is ready now for you to come to me. They don't know it yet, but the words that you're about to speak are going to be the trigger (laughs) that causes you to be dragged out and stoned. But don't you worry, because I'm alive here, and this is where you're headed. You can see me. 
I think that's remarkable. He knows that that's his destiny before they've ever picked up a stone. He knows that that's where he's headed in the next few minutes before they've even dragged him out of the city. He knows that that is his hope before they've even got angry to the point of death. He knows. That's remarkable. And the outcome of that is that he responds by saying, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And that just, that just lights the blue touch paper. And they go off. And that's it. They have, they've lost it. They are so angry with him. This is blasphemy to them. They drag him out and they stone him. What happens when God rocks my world to that level? To the level where life in this world is about to end. You can't get more rocked by that, can you? You cannot get more rocked than where life is about to end in this world. What happens when it reaches that point? We need to know that that is when we know that there is more than simply what we can see. There is more than just the world around. There is the dimension of eternity. There is the dimension of a Christ risen and ascended and in heaven. There is a dimension of hope. What happens when I am about to lose my life? I am about to gain life. That's the answer. What happens when God rocks my world to the point where breath is about to leave my body for the very last time? I am about to gain eternal life where I will breathe for all of eternity in the presence of Jesus. That is hope. That is the kind of hope that Stephen has. Now, I just want to say at this point... Some of you might be thinking, that is just wild. That is just a bit, I can't cope with that. The idea that there's something like Jesus risen. Like, like the idea that there's eternal life through him. I would say, if you really think about it, Every single one of us, at some point, speaks as though we want something more, don't we? We all of us, at some point, we speak as though there, there has to be something more. There have been two tragic, tragic losses of life, one even to death. Gary Speed, football legend took his own life. What a tragedy. Earlier on this week, Angie Downs, TV personality, fitness coach, took her life. When that situation hits us, there is instinctively 
a response which says something like, well, they are now at peace. Or they're now at rest. Or at least they're now happy. Why? Why do we say that? Why do we say that there's, at least they're happy or at least they're at peace or at least all of their problems are over? Because when we are faced with the reality of death, we instinctively want to say that there has got to be something more. We instinctively say it. We cannot live with the idea that when we die we end up in a box and that's it, forgotten. We rot away. We cannot cope with that. We might logically, when we want to talk about life and death, we might be able to, in a dispassionate way, stand away from it and say, well, I believe that you know, there's no such thing as anything outside of what I can see. I believe that it's only about you know, the physical, and when I die, I die, and that's it. But I tell you again and again, we cannot cope with that when we face the reality. I simply want to ask you the question, If there is a greater reality, if there is a reality of life beyond this existence which we currently see, and there are so many claims to that, I want to ask you the question, which one are you going to believe in? Which reality are you going to believe in? Stephen believed in a reality which was rooted in his experience and understanding of Jesus. Why do we believe that it's all about Jesus and his resurrection? Why do we believe this Bible message? Why, confronted with that question of what there is beyond the grave, why do we think the message of the gospel, why do we believe that? Because we would say Jesus has gone first. Simple as that. He is the the prototype, the one who has gone first, the one who has died, the one who has gone into the grave, the one who has risen, and the one who has ascended. Now, quite simply, Stephen is saying there is a conflict here because you've rejected him and I've accepted him. And at the moment where I've accepted him, there's my hope. There's my hope. I've got that confidence. What happens when God rocks our world to that level? We need to know that there's another world that he's taking us to by faith in him. He rocks our world a bit like a stone in a ring. We're we're, we're held into like a stone in a ring with the claws holding onto it. That's what we're like in this world. Held on by the claws of this world. If you get a ring and you keep on wobbling and wobbling and wobbling the stone, eventually it comes loose. That's what God's doing with us. He's loosening us off from this world so that eventually we are released to be in the world that is always purposed for us, which is presence with him. What happens when God rocks our world? Well, I would say, as I said at the beginning, without the hope of him, there is no hope. 